You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. 1986, I got saved in the campus and uh, I was a student, a sophomore student uh, in um, Taft Avenue. But, you know, it was Pastor Steve who was a campus missionary then, also a senior pastor of Victory, very young church, 26-year-old missionary. At that time, he reached out, invested, we got saved in the campus and the rest is history. And I believe that many young people today are crying out for change yet they are missing out on the purpose of why God has called them out. And so this next two weeks, uh, it's a short series on uh, the next generation. It's a short, short series on what God is doing in the campuses. And I know that this church, particularly Victory in general, we have actually seen different generations being represented in the different congregations that we have in Metro Manila. Uh, we have a couple of campus uh, churches uh, or congregations, particularly reaching to the college students. That's uh, U-Belt and also the one in Victory Katipunan. But yet, we also see those who are a little bit older, the current generation. How many of you consider yourself as the current generation? If you are Gen X and above, okay, you're a part of the current generation already. If you're familiar with Michael Jackson and Madonna, that's, uh, that's who you are, okay? Whenever we look at different generations, we appreciate the gifts, the different personality, the different description of each generation, uh, you know, the era, so to speak, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Maybe some of you are still familiar with the 50s, okay? Some of you are familiar with the 60s. I'm familiar with the 80s, though I was born in the latter part of 60s, 68. Some of you are more familiar with the 90s and the year 2000 and above, but yet, we, we know that each generation has something to offer. And we've seen that there's an evolution of whether it's music, whether it's dance, whether it's technology. But yet, when you talk about you know, our generation, okay, uh, we know that there is one call. And uh, each generation definitely has been called by God to be redeemed as a blessing to this nation. Amen. And I believe that we who used to be campus students, okay, now are the ones, you know, taking charge of whether it's in the area of government, whether it's in the business community, whether it's in the banking industry, whether it's in the call center. You used to be students. And now we know that the current students are our future leaders. And, you know, so many things have changed in the previous decades, but yet one thing still remains even in our movement We've seen so many things that have changed and evolved in the way we do things. Back in the 80s, we do things a certain way. We act a certain way. And then it kind of shifted in the 90s and then in the year 2000. But yet, one thing remains the same, and that is still our heart and our mission to reach the next generation. In fact, if you're familiar with who we are as a church, these are the... Three things that we are always trumpeting and you notice that we're always emphasizing in our congregations. We establish churches. You probably notice that many times we give a report on what God is doing, not only in our congregation, but even in the new locations that we're planting. Last week, we planted the latest location that we have from the South Hub, which is the location in Victory Paranaque in SMB Kutan. And uh, it is a full pack service last week. The capacity of the cinema was just about 315 people. And the number of people that came in the 11 o'clock service was about 600 plus. I don't know how they fit there. But we were expecting about 600, 1,000 people came. And even until today, I was uh, listening to some of the reports. They're still continuing to come. And so we established churches. 
That's who we are as a ministry, victory. Yes, we make disciples, but the emphasis in making disciples is by going out in different communities in different cities and planting churches. We also reach campuses. We believe in the next generation. We believe in future leaders. That's who we are. And also, we go to the nations. We've always uh, had that as one of our goals, that we will send out uh, not just campus missionaries, but even foreign missionaries. So today, we're going to be looking at future leaders. Everybody say future leaders. And where do we find future leaders of today? Where, where do we find that? We normally find them in the campuses. The future leaders of today are kind of different from the future leaders of the past. That's, I don't know if, that's, if that makes sense because the future leaders of the past are no longer future leaders. They're past leaders, right? And that's who we are. And yet, we may look at the campuses as the source of future leaders, but in reality, we can actually dig deeper in the area of demographics. You know, we look at 13 to 30 as the age of people who are mostly unreached, and they are in the high school and in the college campuses. But I want to submit to you that even the young ones, future leaders, the you know, uh, you know, children in kids' church. How many of you know that the reason why we invest so much in our kids' ministry is because they are the future, future leaders. Amen. And they will be the ones, you know, no matter how young they are, they can actually be taught the word of God. No matter how young they are, they can actually be taught how to worship. They can be taught how to love their families, how to honor their mom and dad, and how to have a love and appreciation for this station. And so, uh, this next two weeks, today and next week, we're going to look at campus and the next generation, and this entitled Beyond. Everybody say Beyond. You know, the question is, can you actually see beyond your lifetime? You know, can you actually live a life that is not just spent to accumulate wealth or to be successful in your career, but to actually invest your life because you know that there is something worth investing to the future generation that goes beyond us, our generation. Amen. And we're going to be looking at stories of the patriarchs in the Bible on how God has honored them. And by faith, everybody say by faith. By faith, they acted and stood on the promises of God, not only for them, but also for the future generations after them. We will all be looking at Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 to 21. We'll be looking at the life of Isaac. We'll be looking at the life of Jacob and also the life of Joseph. Today, we're going to focus on the first two, okay? Isaac and Jacob. And then next week, we're going to study the life of, uh, of Joseph. Hebrews 11, 20 to 21. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and who? Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's bow our hearts and pray. Father, we are so grateful for what you're doing in our nation. We thank you, Lord God, that you have called us Lord God, for a purpose. And I thank you, Lord God, that, uh, Lord, us who are in this current generation will have the burden uh, in blessing the next generation. Thank you, Lord God, that indeed we will see our very own nation, the Philippines, rise up and be a beacon of light in this uh, part of the world. That we will indeed be 
what we are known as the Christian nation in Asia, Lord God. I pray that we would live it out. Indeed, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, we call forth the purposes of God for this nation as being brought about by the future generation. We thank you, Lord God, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. Beyond. You know, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and I encourage you to read that entire chapter, you will notice that it starts off with a definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is known to be the chapter on faith, the hall of faith. You'll find different characters in the Bible that are mentioned there. They were, you know, honored because of the faith that they've had and the faith that they expressed, the faith that they lived out. And I believe, you know, if the Bible is still being written out now, you and I would actually still be, you know, being written in the Hall of Faith. What's amazing about this summary of the different characters in the Hall of Faith is none of them are perfect people. Many of them, if not all of them, have failed in different areas in their life. What I like about the Bible is it doesn't hide your deficiencies and it actually exposes the characters in the Bible because I believe that is really what the message of the Scripture is all about. That it's not about our being perfect, that we are qualified to approach God, but it's only by the grace of God working in our lives. Amen. Now, how many of you still have something that God needs to work in your life? Please raise your hand. Ako lang I think lahat tayo, di ba? You know, there's something in our lives, there's something in our families, there's something in our marriage, there's something in our personal life that still is being worked out by the Holy Spirit. And we will see that even in the story, though we read just, um, you know, three verses, these three verses represents about 37 chapters in the book of Genesis. You know, somehow this story is summarized from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 50, but yet we're not going through all of those chapters, okay? But somehow the emphasis of the scripture is that by faith, the definition is faith in verse 1 is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. That is faith. Faith has something to do with, not only with the current, but it has something to do with the future. Amen. Now, how many of you have faith that our nation will be one of the top nations in Asia in the future? You know, how many of you believe that God will open doors to prosper this nation? Amen. How many of you are believing that one day the oil and the gas and the, those that deposit under the sea, under the sea, okay, will come up and we will all be beneficiaries of that? Maybe the children after us. I hope that we natin yon. We are believing that by faith. Indeed, we're declaring that indeed God is the God of this nation. In the NIV, as a definition of faith, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's a surety of what you are hoping for. What are you hoping for in the future? What are you hoping for in the family? What are you hoping for personally? There's things that we hope for. You know, we hope that we will be successful. We hope that our children would continue to serve the Lord. We hope that we will pass on our faith to our children. It is also expressed in that same chapter in verse 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I believe that we all would like to please God. Amen. One of our, you know, our main, uh, our main motto is to honor God, make disciples. To honor God is to want to please Him. But how do we please Him? With faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because those who believe, you know, 
should believe that He exists and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That is what we're looking at, faith. Faith is important. Everything that we do in life should have faith. You know, it takes faith for you to come here today. It takes faith for you to work tomorrow. It takes faith for you to finish your project. It takes faith for you to find a job. It takes faith for your students to pass an exam. Come on now. Faith and diligence as well, okay? Don't just pray. You study, right? So it takes faith for all of us to live this life called Christian life. Every time you look at the different character that was described in the Bible, in, uh, particularly in the chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says there, by faith. It's like a, you know, there's a starting point of that, of that person. By faith, Abel did this. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah obeyed God and built the ark and saved his family. By faith, Abraham believed God. By faith, Sarah believed God. By faith, Isaac, the one we read earlier. By faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph gave instructions to the children of Israel to carry his bones. You know, faith, it looks like there is a string or progression of the different generations, one after the other, that by faith, the Hebrew writer is Almost like emphasizing that faith can actually be passed on. That faith, if you are a parent, and if you have faith, you can actually pass on your faith to your children. Amen. And that is our desire. Many of us are first generation Christians. Some of us are like maybe, I know people are second generation. I think Edre is third generation Christian. And his future children will be the fourth generation and so on and so forth. What a legacy. Edre's dad is a pastor in Santa Rosa, Pastor Ernie. The grandparent, they're Christians. What a legacy. And how many of you envision that in your family line, you know, if you are the first one who became born again and saved in your family, that this faith that we have will not stop with us, but it will be passed down to our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. Amen. That it will not stagnate with us. That even the next generation will be a better generation than us. And how many of you know that that is our dream and our desire that each generation should be better than the previous generation? We ought not to be insecure if our children look better than us. Or are more beautiful than us. Or are more talented than us. That is a blessing. I believe every generation has a greater strength because of the faith that we pass on to them. Amen. We go from faith to faith, strength to strength, and from glory to glory. There's always a progression there. There's always a growth. We're not called to stagnate and stay in status quo or plateau in our faith with God. Amen. I'm hoping that you know our faith today is greater than our faith yesterday. You know, God is not looking for you to be a perfect guy or a perfect woman. He's just looking at progress. He's looking at growth. Amen. He's looking at our desire and our passion, just continuing to grow, and our hunger for Him, continuing to grow in our relationship with Him. Faith. Faith goes beyond what we see. That ultimately is it. Abraham, by faith, he was believing God's promise that he will be a father, not only a father to Isaac, but he will be a father to many nations. How many of you know that Abraham didn't even see the many nations? Abraham just took that to heart and said, okay, since you said so, I'm going to believe it. And if the word says it, I'm going to stand on it. That's exactly what Abraham did. But we also know Abraham's story that maybe he said, you know, since my wife is barren, maybe God needs help. How many of you know that we can never help God? 
we need help from God. And so, you know, that's the reason why he had Hagar and Ishmael became a fruit of that as well. But yet he was still considered to be a man of faith because he had Isaac, which is the son of promise. From Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Joseph, from Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh. You know, Abraham didn't see that anymore. Faith goes beyond what you see. Are we just limited to what we see in the now? I mean, the Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. You know, we can't be moved by feelings or by emotions. Amen. We can't make a decision based on what you feel. You know, some sociologists would say, don't ever make a major decision if you're angry. Chances are you're going to make a mistake, right? And the others are also saying, don't ever make a major decision when you are also happy. Especially if it's a major decision, like moving, careers. Oh, I'm happy. Let's go move. Let's move to the States, you know. It's all by faith. Faith has an object. You don't have faith on faith. You have faith in God. Amen. And when God says something, we stand on the promise. And what's amazing about this Hebrew Hall of Famers is it's written in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from what? From afar. They didn't experience it, but yet they saw it. How many of you know that that is what faith is all about? Faith is seeing something even if it's not actually there yet. That is what faith is all about. You know, the story of Walt Disney, you know, he died before the first Disneyland opened, right? And, you know, one of, some of the reporters are saying, how I wish Mr. Walt Disney saw this. And his children and his staff said, oh, for sure, Walt saw this. He already has seen this even before these things came about. What is faith? Faith is the ability to see something that is not yet there as if it's there. And faith is the ability to see our children taking over this country even if on a daily basis they're disobedient, they are always in the internet, they're always on their phone, they always watch Netflix, they sometimes don't obey, they don't fix their room, they go home late, you know, they're more interested in their friends than us, you know, and so on and so forth. How many of you know it takes faith for us to believe in the next generation? Lord, kaya ba talaga? Help me believe, Lord. Help me in my unbelief. It takes faith to see beyond what we see in the natural. Let's talk about Isaac first. You know, in Isaac's case, of course, we know that faith will move us to bless the next generation. He was called by God to bless the next one, his son, the son of promise, the one who will carry on the seed of Christ. You know, for you who are not familiar with the story of Isaac, Rebecca was barren, but maybe we can rewind it further. Some people are saying that Isaac was a mediocre son. Some people are also saying that Isaac was a mediocre dad. But yet he was one of the patriarchs whom God chose to bless. God appeared to Abraham. He appeared to Isaac. He appeared to Jacob. That's why every time God would be introduced to the Israelites, the God of who? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine why is Isaac being accused of being a mediocre son and a mediocre you know, father where in fact when Abraham was called by God to Mount Moriah to offer a sacrifice, who was with him? Isaac. Isaac was no longer a child. Isaac was actually a young grown man. Young grown man, if that's, there's such a case. 
And he understands that his dad is going to the mountain to sacrifice the lamb. That's why he's asking on the way to the mountain, the fire is here, the wood is here, where is the lamb? But he still went. How many of you know that that is not mediocrity? I think that can actually be credited to him as faith. He was willing to be tied. He didn't even run. When Abraham was tying his hand, Dad, goodbye. <laughs> you know, I would have run for my life. May future pa ako, Dad. But he willingly allowed himself to be tied by Abraham and placed on the altar until the angel of the Lord appeared. And I believe that when Isaac now heard, Abraham, don't kill your son, he was probably relieved. <sighs> Lord, salamat. Isaac is a man of faith. You know, he prayed for his wife, Rebecca. He waited on God to give him a wife. He obeyed his mom to not marry among the, the foreigners in the land. He allowed a trusted servant of Abraham to look for a wife for him. Can you imagine that? How many of you would entrust the, you know, the executive assistant of your dad to choose a wife for you? And yet, Isaac said, okay, if that's the instruction of God, I'm going to believe. I'm going to stand on the promise. First time he saw Rebecca, he fell in love with Rebecca. And yet, Rebecca was found barren, and they prayed. And then, eventually, they were given not just one child, but twins. In verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on not just one child, but both Jacob and Esau. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Isaac was really in the flesh during that time. He wanted to bless Esau. If you are an Israelite, and according to the custom and tradition, you would normally bless the firstborn. Esau was the firstborn. And that is the practice of the Mesopotamian people during that time that it's the firstborn who will get the inheritance and the blessing because they are the ones in charge of running the estate when the patriarch will pass away. But yet, the instruction of God, even when Rebekah was pregnant, that there's going to be two children in the womb. In the NIV, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So his blessing upon them is not just so that they can be blessed with land, they can be blessed with property, they can be blessed with finances, but they can be blessed in the future and even in the generations to come. Now, how many of you are familiar with the blessings of God? How many of you normally say, God bless you? Okay, God bless you, okay? How many of you, sometimes when you text or when you viber somebody, you actually write, God bless you in the end, or God bless, or GBU? And it's interesting that when I type God bless you in the iPhone, if you have a, like, an autofill, what comes out is a person, emoticon, who's sneezing. <laughs> Try it. If you type God bless, don't do it now, okay? If you type God bless you, if it's an autofill thing, what comes out is an emoticon, a person who's sneezing. Where did they get that? You know, bless comes from the word yolohio, which means to bring a good word or to confer a benefit. But yet, when you talk about God bless you, I think it came from the practice because during the time of Pope Gregory I, there was a plague in the land, and the plague was caused by coughing and sneezing, and they believe that if you're coughing and sneezing, that you're actually susceptible to bad spirits. 
And so they told the people during that time that in order for you to counter the bad spirits, you say, God bless you. That was the explanation in my research. I don't know if that's accurate. But let's go back to the history of Jacob. Why was he considered to be blessed by God? In fact, when Rebekah was just about to be pregnant, this was the word that she received from the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. It was by the purpose of God that Jacob will actually be the one who would carry on the seed of Christ. Rebecca knew about this, and I believe Isaac knew about this. But you know how it is. Sometimes in the family, there's like favorites in the family. So Esau was the firstborn and Jacob was the secondborn. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac, I think this is where the problem came in. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Like, you know, hunting. Okay, Every time he hunts, he would cook and then he ate of, the, of that. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And this is where we see the dysfunction happening in the, in the family of, of Isaac. Though they knew for a fact that the one who would be blessed by God was Jacob, yet Isaac, purpose in his heart, maybe carnally, decided, no, it's going to be my firstborn Esau because he's a man who's a hunter, he's man's man, he's strong, he's skilled, he can definitely be the one who can carry on the seed of the Messiah. And this is where we see the, you know, when the time of the blessing would come, Genesis chapter 27, you can, we're not going to read it through the entire chapter, but these are just highlights. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, you know, it was during that time when he, feel, uh, when he felt like he was about to die. He was about 137 years old during this time. You know, it is sometimes, you know, when, when the patriarchs, our father, our parents, you know, or maybe, you know, the, uh, the man leading in the family, when they feel like it's about time, they call everybody already and they start giving out, okay, and uh, they, either they prepare the will and then they start making sure that everybody understands. And this is a time when, when Isaac was 137. How many of you know 137 years is a good old age? It's a good old age. And he probably was expecting that he's about to die. But yet, later on, if you try to calculate how old he was when he actually died, he was 180 years old. So he tired a while. Medyo tumagal pa ng konti. And so he said to his older, uh, he said, My son, he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Obviously, he was just preparing him. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out in the field. Hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious foods that, so, such as I love. Okay, just like the old-time favorites. And bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may what? Bless you. Before I die. You know, Isaac was actually trying to, you know, uh, make lambing to his son. Before, you know, he could have actually just said, okay, come here, uh, my son. Let me bless you. How many of you know that that's possible? You know, let me just, you know. But he made a wish. Before I give you the blessing, this is my wish. Because he was thinking, baka last time ko na tikim ng or something like that, okay? And so he was wanting to have that. 
The instruction was, okay, go hunt, give me that. But yet, Rebecca, the mom, the wife of Isaac, heard about the conversation and the dialogue between Isaac and Esau. And what she did was, she connived with the younger son to deceive Isaac, to pretend that he was Esau and try to get the blessing from Isaac. Well, initially, the original plan of God was to bring the blessing to Jacob anyway. Why did Rebecca have to scheme and, you know, connive and do all these things in order for them to steal the blessing from, you know, from Esau to be given to Jacob? She could have probably just spoke with Isaac. Hey, remember your prophecy in the Lord? It's going to be Jacob. I don't know what the, you know, what the conversation was in the household if they were on speaking terms regarding this particular situation, maybe not. And so they devised a way. So Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. As I command you, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And how many of you know that maybe Rebecca is a better cook than Esau. Maybe the caldereta of Rebecca is a lot better than Esau's caldereta. And you shall bring it to your father to eat and so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob is not to be a deceiver, but who's the real deceiver here? It's the mom. Mom. Mama. How many of you know that moms have a big influence upon their children? But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, balbonics, and I am a smooth man. I don't know what that means. Calbonics. I don't know. I don't know what that means, okay? Perhaps my father will feel me and will see and shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Takutsha. I might be cursed, mom. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Go and bring them to me. And we know what happens. If you're familiar with the story, she cooked very quickly, gave it to Jacob, and he said to Jacob, put on goat's skin on your arms and on your neck. Put on the clothes of your brother so that you won't be recognized. And so he eventually, you know, after cooking, he went on and fed Isaac with a meal. And he said, Dad, here I am. And Isaac was a bit, you know, iffy with who, who that was because he said, Come here, my son. He called. And then he touched the hair of his arm. Okay, you seem to be hairy. It's the voice of Jacob, but it's the hair of Esau. You read your Bible. And then he said, Come here closer. And then what he did was he kissed Jacob in a moy. You know what this kiss? You know, yung mga old, you know, how, you know how grandparents kiss? It's not, it's not kiss. It's amoy, amoy kiss. So that's exactly what Isaac did. He actually smelled Jacob, but yet he, you know, he smelled the clothes of Esau. And that's exactly his trigger point to bring and speak the blessing upon Jacob. And he was blessed indeed. Just a few moments after Jacob left, Esau came with a caldereta. 
Here's your Caldereta favorite, Dad. And, you know, I'm excited to receive the blessing. This time, you know, Isaac was already trembling. Who was that? Who was the one who came here ahead of you? You know, that deceitful man, he deceived me this twice already because the first one, remember, he was hungry and he actually got the birthright for a pot of lugaw or arroscaldo. And then this time he also stole the blessing. And he said to, uh, you know, he said to himself, after my dad grieves, or after I spend the grieving for my dad, I'm going to go and kill my brother. How many of you know that it took a while for him to grieve? 137 minus 180, that's a lot of years. But yet, there were consequences of what happened with Rebecca. She sent out Jacob back to her own father's family. And that was the very last time that she saw her son as a consequence of her deception as well. But yeah, what's amazing here is God actually still blessed. Because how many of you know that despite the fact that we fall short in obeying the purpose of God, it's not about us. It's about God's purpose anyway. Amen. And still, the blessing of God was transferred from Isaac to Jacob and from Jacob to Joseph and from Joseph to Joseph's children. That was how it is. Jacob was ultimately chosen by God. Faith sees what God sees. Now, Jacob's time came for him you know, to, to bless his children and his grandchildren. We know that Jacob was known to deceive people. He deceived Laban, but he was also deceived by Laban. He worked for seven years so that he can marry Rachel. But yet, the first wife that was given to him was not Rachel, but what? Leah. He had like several wives because of this transaction and this walk of deception. He would actually be what you call today a street smart guy. You know, he would actually hustle. He would do things on his own. He would actually try to compromise here and there in order for him to advance his own agenda. But yet, there was a breaking point in his life that God had to meet him and actually break him. And that was a time when he was about to die. You know, he lost the son that he loved, Joseph. Even his own sons deceived him and told him, you know, your son Joseph was killed by a wild animal and they showed him his coat that he gave Joseph that was filled with blood. How many of you know that what you saw is what you reap? If you sow lies and deception, chances are you will also reap lies and deception. That's exactly what happened to Jacob. Verse 21, it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Here we can see that by this time, he was broken by God and he wanted to just end his life in worship unto the Lord. What's amazing was, in this particular case, whom he blessed was, yes, he blessed all the children, but he decided to bless the next generation after his children. Joseph was his favorite son, but he decided to bless the sons of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh. And what he did to them was also the same because he blessed the younger over the older, of which Joseph was not pleased when he was doing that. Genesis 48, verse 8 to 10. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, Who are these 
Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given to me. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him. And he kissed them, and he embraced them. And then he, start, he started blessing them. You know, we have a mandate from God to not only bless our generation, but we are called to bless the next generation. We are to teach the next generation, bless the future generations. I believe that the glory of God, the faith that we're carrying right now, can be passed on to your children. You know, maybe you're a single person here and you don't have children. Guess what? You may have spiritual children. The younger children, you know, sometimes we look at younger kids in our nation and we kind of brand them with a certain you know, uh, accusation, you know, this generation is actually a very depressed generation. This generation is this. This generation is that. This generation lacks purpose. How many of you know that when we say that to this generation, we're actually cursing that generation and we're not blessing them? That's why we need to be careful in speaking words because how many of you know that there's power in the spoken words? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And that is so true. If we actually, you know, complain about this nation and we complain about the government, we complain about the potholes on the road, we complain about the system, we're actually bringing curse and not a blessing. Why don't we speak blessing? Lord, I thank you that this will happen to our nation. I thank you that this generation will be upright. I thank you that this generation will be filled with their purpose and so on and so forth. Amen. And I believe that our young people, you know, that's what's the sad reality is our young people many times are being abused. Many of the syndicates right now are using young people, children, in order to perform their crime. And because of the law, you know, they cannot just be, you know, uh, the juvenile uh, law, they cannot just be put to jail because they're underage. There are some who are moving, trying to push that the criminal act can actually be lowered down to maybe 15 and some are even pushing nine years old. The tender age now of the criminals are even younger. But then I believe that we can actually look at our young children. They may be in the streets. And it burdens me. You know, every time I see young boys sniffing, you know. Uh, we see this all over our, our city, you know. Uh, young little girls, you know, just begging for, for food. And sometimes they're being abused. By, you know, by, by the people ordering them to, to go out in the streets to beg for money. We need to pray for them. Amen. We need to bless them. If you're a parent, you have an obligation to bless your genera- generation. Amen. We're to bless our children. We're to bless the children of our children in the future. Even if we don't see them yet, we can declare that. How many of you know that it's not too early to pray for the spouse of your children, even if your child is still in grade one. He or she is not going to get married tomorrow, but you're declaring, Lord, I thank you that she will find a godly man or a godly woman, and they will all have godly children in the future. You can actually declare that and put that as a blessing. Faith goes beyond what we see. Then Israel said to Joseph, and he promised, after blessing his children, Manasseh and Ephraim, he said, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you. Finally, we hear these statements from Jacob. The man who went around deceiving people, the man who did things on his own, and eventually he said, I'm going to put my trust in God. It was God who straightened him by making him limp. 
He had an encounter with God. He wrestled with God. When we look at our children and the young people in this nation, sometimes we cannot predict the future. We can be so discouraged with the now, but we know that God will be with this generation. We do not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds our future. Amen. And that's God. He holds our future. He holds the future of our children. He holds the future of this nation. That's why we must leave a godly legacy. We don't just live for ourselves. We live for the next generation. As I end, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, ultimately the reason why you and I are blessed as we you know, are walking with the Lord, believing God you know, for His blessing, it's not because of what we have done that qualifies us to be blessed, but it's because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, and that's all of us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that. And as we have been blessed, we need to declare the same blessing to the generations after us. And I do want to just pray for my current generation, our current generation, those who are parents, those who are a little bit older, can I just ask you to lift your hands so you can actually just, just like Isaac and Jacob, that we will see the eyes of faith, that we will see God using our younger children and our younger generations. Father God, you see our hands, God, and I pray for our current generation right now. May we not be discouraged, Lord God, knowing that sometimes it's really a difficult task raising up and discipling and disciplining our very own children, Lord. But I thank you, Lord God, that you will even see all of us, Lord. Help us to see whether we're married, whether we're singles, Lord God. Help us to see with the eyes of faith that indeed you have called the younger generation, Lord God, to, Lord God, take on the task and the mantle of leadership from us. Lord, I pray that you would remove any Lord God, just doubt and unbelief from our hearts. Lord, we also repent, Lord God, for sometimes speaking curses over the, this uh, future generation. Lord God, we repent of that. And I pray, God, that we will be godly examples for these young children, Lord God, for them to follow. May we as men and women in this current generation serve as, Lord God, coaches, mentors, uh, parents, foster parents, uh, God, the examples for these younger ones to follow, Lord God, in the area of faith, in the area of excellence, in the area of leadership, in the area of just loving you and being passionate for you, Lord God. So, Lord, I thank you that you will continue to help us to walk in faith. Indeed, faith sees beyond what we see even right now, Lord God. Bless this current generation, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for that. In Jesus' name.